good morning. We are in uh, John chapter 16. We're going to cover verses 16 through 33. So basically the second half of the chapter. John 16, uh, verses 16 through 33. The title of this lesson is Overcoming the World. <clears throat> Let me read these verses for us. A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while you will see me because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among them, What is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again a little while and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he is saying. Now, Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And so he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice, and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one can take from you. And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. These things I have spoken to you in figurative language, but the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I will not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. His disciples said to him, See, now you're speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you came forth from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time this morning. <clears throat> Father, as we look into your word, Father, we pray that you will give us those eyes to see and those ears to hear. I pray that the Holy Spirit will be here with us and be our teacher this morning. Father, give us understanding. Father, more importantly, change us today for the sake of your kingdom because of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Jesus has been giving... The disciples uh, some details, not full details, but but he's been giving them details about what is happening, what's about to happen. Uh, for some time, he's alluded to his hour not yet come. Now his hour has come, and so in today's opening verse, he does it again, and he shares a basic timeline. And 
this statement, what he says here in verse 16, confuses them a little bit. Uh, He says, a little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Dr. Sproul noted that scholars have debated this uh, statement a lot, back and forth. Um, They uh, said, well, was he talking about going to heaven, and then the Spirit being given at Pentecost? Or was he talking about returning to heaven and then his return at the end of the age? And um, if, if you, given the context, when you look at this verse, what do you think this means? What do you think he's talking about? Because usually if there's a simple answer, that's probably it. Resurrection. Right. That's, 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 it's, a, it's a simple answer here at this point. Right. It is, it is, it is simple. The Lord, the Lord was coming, talking about his coming death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's what he's talking about here. He's saying, in a little while, you're not going to see me. In a little while, again, you will. It's very simple, uh, given the context of this, um, this verse and where this comes in this discourse. The, uh, this discourse uh, is the most intimate. Uh, if you look at the conversations that Jesus has had with his disciples, this is the most intimate. It's, um, it is the, the most uh, searching and revealing conversations that Christ has ever had with his disciples. He is spending a lot of time with them. But we know um, that in less than 24 hours from where we are in this discourse, in less than 24 hours, he would be completely unavailable to them. He'd be dead and he would be buried and he'll be in the tomb. And when you when you read that, when I, when I put that in my notes and when I read it, it's, it's in less than 24 hours, he'll be completely unavailable to them because he will be dead. Man, that's... Wow, right? But in just a few days later, they'll see him again. Now, <clears throat> given that uh, scholars have debated this, I guess it's, uh, again, Dr. Sproul pointed out, it's not surprising that the disciples themselves were confused, right? What, is, what do we hear in verse 17 through 18? It says, Then some of the disciples said among themselves, What is this that he has said to us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. They therefore said, What is this that he says? A little while. We do not know what he's saying. Well, they're, they're having these discussions among themselves. right? That's what uh, John tells us. They, they, didn't, they didn't want to ask Jesus directly. And then John tells us in verse 19 and 20, says, Now, now, Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And so he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. I notice this contrast that Jesus makes here, right? He He's saying to the disciples, for you, my closest band of brothers who I've spent so much time with, you will weep and you will lament. Great, great sorrow, right? What does he say? The world is going to be rejoicing. They're going to be celebrating. He's telling them, when I go, you will be sobbing. You will be crying. You will be torn apart. And you will even tear your clothes. You will be be crying all over yourself. He says, but meanwhile, all around you, the world's going to be rejoicing. 
because I'm gone. This is exactly what the world wants. The world wants me gone. Dr. Sproul says, uh, you know about Dr. Sproul, he, was in, he loved to play golf. And, and uh, he, says, uh, he says, we used to have a saying on the golf course. He says, Every, any, any golfers in the room? Anybody play golf? None? No golfers in this room? Really? Wow. It's good. Me neither. I don't have time for that. But I tell everybody, the, the, golf, the grass is too short at the golf courses. It would really make my cows mad. Uh, just that short grass. But anyway. He says, uh, in a, in a, the, the, the saying on the golf course is that every shot makes someone happy, right? <laughs> if it's a good shot, the guy who shot it makes him happy, right? If it's a bad shot, then the opponent is happy. Every shot makes somebody happy, right? He says, well, here, uh, this, what Jesus is talking about, this, of course, is much more significant than a golf shot. Uh, he is, what's Jesus referring to? Uh, in the in the bigger sense, he's he's talking about when he talks about the disciples uh, weeping and lamenting, the world rejoicing. He's talking about this supreme conflict that has been uh, about all ages, it has been through all uh, history, right? That has pitted himself against the world. And here we have this culmination, right? This amazing time uh, here that's about to happen. And this conflict here, we have on one side, of course, the flesh and the devil, the world and the devil himself, right? The devil is thinking what? You remember, the devil is not omniscient. The devil is not omnipotent, right? He is not omnipresent. He is not God. But in his own arrogance, he actually believes he's about to, to win. He's about to, He's about to do something really good. He really believes that. And he couldn't wait for Jesus to be hanging on the cross and for his blood to be spilled. The devil is extremely happy about this. He can't wait for his dead body to be put into the tomb. And those events, as they unfold, will bring joy and celebration for all of those who hated Jesus and plotted against him. That is the truth. There will be joy and there will be celebration. Jesus saying, you know... uh, the world's going to be celebrating. They're going to be throwing their hats in the air. Big, big celebration. Look, we won, but for you guys, for my closest band of brothers, there will be great sorrow. However, notice that Jesus did say they would see him again. As we pointed out already, they would see him in a matter of days. And um, this little while, this, this, he says he would see them again in a little while. This um, little phrase, okay, um, that Jesus used here is often used in Scripture to describe an interval of pain or sorrow or grief that we are called to endure in this life. So it is by no accident that Jesus uses this phrase, right? In a little while. It's, it's no accident that Jesus uses this. The the um, of course e- even those little whiles as we would would call them as Jesus uh, called them here can seem like a very long time and I believe that for the disciples they probably did if you were to be able to talk to them those couple of days uh, three days would seem like almost an eternity. Um, Doctor Sproul at this point says uh, I once uh, talked uh, with a Christian woman who had ministered and had ministered to her just days before her death after she had a 10-year battle with cancer. And um, 
she said, uh, or she told R.C., she says, I just can't take it anymore. That's what she said. That's what she told him. I just can't take it anymore. Ten year. Ten year battle with cancer. And, and Dr. Sproul says, have, have you ever been there? Have you been there in... Um, it, it's, it's one thing to hurt for a day. Right? It's one thing to hurt for even a couple of days. But for the pain the last 10 years. And if you know somebody close who has suffered with cancer, it is, can be extremely painful, can't it? But, but the, for the pain to last 10 years, this, this woman, this dear Christian woman, as R.C. says, she has trusted God the entire time. Her faith is, has never uh, struggled, but she had, she had basically finally said, I can't take it anymore. And he says within a few days, the Lord took her home. He took her home and he took her away from all that pain and that sorrow. And where did she go? Right into his presence. Unspeakable joy. Right? Amazing, unspeakable joy. Ten years in pain, always trusting, never, never lacking, but trusting in, in her Lord. But ten years of pain and then immediate joy. Restoration, healing with her Savior. This, as you think about that, it's, it's that kind of change, okay, this, that Jesus has promised his disciples here. It's that kind of, kind of change. And, and he, well, because he, he compares the sorrow, but it's going to last for a minute and then there's going to be joy. And so, but then, so, so it's that kind of change, but then he reinforces it, right? with this, uh, an analogy, a, a simple analogy, but it has been used throughout the pages of the Old Testament, right? It's the analogy of what? The pain and anguish that goes along with childbirth. Verses 20, uh, the second half of verse 20 and 22, he says, you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been brought into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow. But I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. You see the, what, what he's saying here, right? What's, he's using this wonderful analogy of a woman who has given birth. And for the mothers all in the room, um, I won't say that I understand exactly what you're going through, right? I've been with my lovely wife three times, right? Uh, and, and yes, there is a lot of anguish leading up to this amazing event, right? Uh, a lot of pain. But then as soon as, and I'm not speaking for you mothers, I'm not one. But uh, I'm not saying as soon as. Okay. Well, okay. But but when you hold, but when you hold that newborn baby for the first time, right? Is that a significant change in how you see things? I'm asking because I haven't experienced it. Right? I can't put myself on your shoes, but um, it's an amazing feeling, isn't it? I mean, all that pain, and it's look. I have this new life. This precious baby that God has sent 
And a lot of times it's tears of joy, right? It's just happiness. Thank you, Lord, for this healthy baby that you have given me. So, and you see that, and Jesus uses those terms about her hour, right? He's talked about his hour has come. Again, the same analogy, right? It's a lot of similarities here, what Jesus is saying. Well, Jesus assured them that he would see them again, and he promised their sorrow will be turned into joy. And then he said that, what, he said that last, let's don't skip over that. He says, and your joy, no one can take away from you, right? That joy that no one can take away. We talked about that in previous lessons a lot. Then Jesus says in verses 23 and 24, he says, And in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask in the Father, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now here, Jesus speaks of a day. He says, and in that day. So he, he says there will be a day. There's a day coming when you won't have any more questions of me. You won't be able to ask me any more questions. That day, um, we can reasonably deduce that day. He's referring to Pentecost. The ultimate the day is what when he says there is a day coming um, when the Holy Spirit will be poured out. I won't be with you. Jesus will not be here, but you're going to have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And and yes, you're not going to ask me anything, but but I'm going to still be with you in a very real way. And, in, and here on this, this point that about these questions, right? Um, about asking me nothing. Uh, Dr. Sproul says, um, he comments, he says, you know, in, in a very real sense, he says, for the disciples... Because they've been in training, right, for three years. They've been in this rabbinic school, and they've been walking around, they've been learning from Jesus. He says, in a, in a very real sense, seminary ends the day that one sees the resurrected Christ. Think about it. Seminary ends the day that one sees the resurrected Christ. There is nothing more to ask at that point. It is enough at that point to marvel and to worship, to fall down and worship, right, the resurrected Christ, because when you're facing the resurrected Christ, everything's answered. Jesus is alive. He's in front of you. He's answered everything. So just to be with him, that's it. That's sufficient. It's done. It's it's over. And and, and here we are. So there's no more questions. And and, and what's the response? Worship, right? That is uh, the response. And and again. Again, Jesus tells them that anything they ask of the Father in his name would be granted. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Then he adds that the result of this proper relationship with the Father is what? What does he say? Overflowing joy. Just joy. This proper relationship. This joy says that your, that your joy may be full. He goes on in verses 25 and 28. He says, These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. But the time is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language. But I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from God. 
I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. Now much of what he's saying here is a summary of some of his earlier comments. Uh, and, it, and, it, and it says, but the disciples appeared to understand this time, to have a little bit better understanding. But this, this verse, I want to focus a little bit um, on verse 26. He says this, he says, In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I shall pray the Father for you. Okay, kind of, okay, what's, what's he saying here? All right, Christ was here, he, he's, he's clarifying. He's trying to make simple what he means by praying in his name. What does that mean to the disciples? That's what, he, what he's saying. He says, he, 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 he does not mean that uh, we are to ask, um, asking him to ask the Father as if, as if the Father was indifferent to us. In other words, we don't have to, okay, Jesus, I'm going to ask you these things and then you're going to take these things to the Father. It's not, a, it's not that kind of process he's saying. He says it's, it's, it's not that same way. He says, on the contrary, what did Jesus say? The Father loves his own. Right? That's what he says. The Father loves his own. In fact, he says, the Father sent the Son to redeem them and then returned them back to the Father, right? So, when he says asking in Jesus' name, right? Because we, we, we pray, right? What, how do we, a lot of us end our prayers, right? In Jesus' name or in, for Jesus' sake or some reference, right, to uh, our Lord Jesus. But how do we address our prayers to our Heavenly Father, right? We pray to our Father in Heaven. But we pray in Jesus' name. So asking in Jesus' name simply means asking. This is a, this is a good statement. Asking on the basis of his merit, of his righteousness, for whatever would honor and glorify him to build his kingdom. Now, that kind of prayer, right? And we talked a little bit about this, right? We, we talked earlier when Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, I'm going to get you. Right? Or it'll be granted to you, right? We talked about that. That's not, Jesus didn't say, ask me for a new car, I'll give it to you. That's not what he meant, right? He's saying, Things, he says, when you, and, and this is a wonderful statement, he's asking in Jesus' name means simply asking on the basis of his merit because without it, I have no access to the Father, right? I can't come to the Father except through the Son. On the basis of his merit, his righteousness, the Father cannot look upon us, right? Our righteousness is filthy. So we have to have his righteousness to have access to the Father. And whatever, what are we asking for? For whatever would honor and glorify him to build his kingdom. Now those are honorable prayers, right? He says, hey, we're going to answer those. I mean, those are, by no means, we will definitely not cast you out. Those prayers will be answered. Jesus goes on, he says in verse 29 and 30, he's, well, this is his disciple speaking. His disciple said to him, see, now you're speaking plainly and using no figure of speech. Now we are sure that you know all things and have no need that anyone should question you. By this we believe that you have come forth from God. Now, we, we've already read, so we know Jesus' response here, right? Um, the disciples have gotten excited, right? Because why? They say, you're speaking plainly to us now. 
Well, you could argue that he's been speaking plainly all along, right? But, well, okay, we'll see this, right? It's, 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 he's, he's speaking plainly. And in their excitement, what did they say? Well, what does he say? Uh, now now we, we trust you even more now. Now well, we believe, right? We, this, new, this new depth now of trust that we have because you're speaking to us plainly, easy to understand. Well, how did Jesus respond? This um, uh, in this Jesus's response, because and I think Dr. Sproul described uh, the the disciples' response as an outburst. Basically, oh, okay, now we get you because you're talking to us plainly. We trust in you now. And says Jesus's response to this outburst was one of, and he described it as righteous indignation. Verse thirty-one. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Now, I don't know how he said it, right? I wasn't there, right? But it's, it's, almost, it's almost if he was saying, oh, 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 now you believe? Really? Now? Because uh, you say I'm speaking to you plainly. Now you believe? So I was like, where have you been for the last three years? You know, where have you been? Did, have you not been listening when I said that the Son of Man had to go forth and to die? He's told them about this, right? What, what, did it not sink in? Did, what, what's been happening? Where did, oh, now you believe. Hmm. He said to them in verse 32, he says, Indeed, the hour is coming. Yes, has now come that you will be scattered, each to his own, and will leave me alone. Mm. Mm. That's a serious, a serious uh, prediction, right? That Jesus is sharing with them. That is a indeed the hour is coming. Yes, it is now come that you'll be scattered, each to his own. And where does that leave Jesus? Leave me alone. Mm. He's now just again. Where does this verse come? Okay, they just said, "Okay, now he speaks to us plainly." Okay, now we have this belief. Oh, now you believe? Let me tell you what's about to happen. About you're about to be scattered, and I'm going to be all alone. Where's your belief then? That's kind of what Jesus is saying, right? That's the spirit of what he's saying. It's you, you're, you're all full of belief and, and, and you say you trust and you have all this now, but it ain't going to last. It's not going to last. Mm. For this, wow, this, this big, big moment in their lives and then Jesus, hey, this is temporary. This is not going to last. You, you all, they're going to leave me. When, when, and Jesus knows what's about to happen here, here just in a matter of hours, right? He knows that when they, and, and he, did, he's not, he doesn't tell them this, but he could have, right? When He could tell them, when you see the guards coming, when we're in the garden later tonight, when you see the guards coming through the gate of the garden of Gethsemane, when you, when you see the guards who are being led by somebody you know, namely Judas, right? 
He's going to be leading them in. When you, when you see the swords of the Roman soldiers that are shining in the night, guess what you're going to do? You're going to run for your lives. And you're going to leave me all alone in the garden. Hmm. Dr. Sproul said the, um, the first year that he was a Christian, he was attending a weekly prayer meeting and he learned the hymn, Where He Leads Me, an old hymn of the faith, right? The, the, I'll read uh, the first stanza. It says this, I can hear my Savior calling, take thy cross and follow, follow me. Where he leads me, I will follow. I will go with him, with him, all the way. Okay. Now, and, and, and he's, he's sharing this. And all of you, if you're honest with, we've all been right where Dr. Spool says he was. He says, when I sang that song, I sang it with what? I sang it with joy in my heart when I heard it. And I thought to myself, yes, Lord, I am yours. Wherever you want me to go, I will go. But now, he says, I look back. I look back on my life. This is Dr. Sproul's words. I look back on my life and I think of all the places that he, Jesus, has gone that I didn't go. I think of all the time that he called me to follow him and I went the other direction. And I left him all along. Hmm. You've been there, right? I've been there. You've been there. If you're honest with yourself, if you've been walking with the Lord long enough, you've been there. Jesus says that his, his closest friends, his band of brothers, the, the, this group of men who has, he has invested so much time in, right, is about to leave him. But then he added this. He says, in verse th- the second half of verse 32, he says, and yet I am not alone. Why? Because the Father is with me. Now, that, to Jesus, he knows what's about to happen. But how reassuring is that reality, right? That as you are in this world, as you find yourself all alone, as Jesus is about to be all alone on, a ver- on, the, on this 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 night that has been um, coming for ages. Uh, but he says, I am not alone because the Father is with me. Paul, we know, uh, we're familiar with the Apostle Paul. He was also alone at the end of his life, wasn't he? He was alone when he wrote his, his second letter to Timothy. And what did he write? He write that Demas, he's forsaken me, having loved this present world. We find this in 2 Timothy. Uh, he, others had left him on various mission trips, right? He had been left alone. He says only Luke remained with him. Only Luke, he says, remained in him. But what did he say? What did he add in, in verse 17 of 2 Timothy 4? He says, but the Lord has stood with me and strengthened me. That's what he said, right? The Lord has stood, that's his words of Paul. The Lord has stood with me and he's strengthened me. Paul was in a a similar situation, right? And Jesus knows what it's like to be left alone by your friends when, when the time when you need them the most. Jesus knows 
what it's like because Jesus has faced the exact same situation. But at the same time, what Paul experienced, right? He had the same assurance that one, capital O, would be with him. So he's telling the disciples here, you're all going to run away. You're all going to be scattered out of fear. He says, but the Father's going to stay with me. The Father will be with me. I will not be alone. Then he continues in verse 33. He says, These things I have spoken to you, that in, in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Mm. Now notice, he, there's a couple of things here, right? It's, it's, there, there's two different um, this comparisons, right? There's a, there's a in me and there's in the world, right? There's in me, he says what? In me, you may have peace. What does he say? In the world, you're going to have tribulation. Now, who's he talking to? He's talking to the disciples, right? That's who, he, that's who he's talking to. So is he saying that, well, you got to live in two different worlds? I mean, what, what? that's not really, really what he's saying, right? We, we've talked about what it means to be in Christ. We've talk, that's Paul's favorite thing, right? About being in Christ, life in Christ. And he says, what? In me, life in me, you have peace. While at the same time you live in this world, guess what? You're going to have tribulation. It's not two different lives. It's the same life, right? It's the same life of the believer. It's, it's in me you're going to have peace. So yes, you'll be out in the world. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to get beat up. But in me you have peace. What, is it, what does that mean to the believer? In the middle of all the mess of this world of sin, right? And some of it's our own fault, right? This mess we create ourselves. But a lot of it is, is external as well, right? It's persecution on believers, right? But what is he saying? In the middle of all that, you can have peace. You know that I am with you in me. Life in me, you will have peace. So we have this in me and you have this in the world. Over in, um, over in Acts uh, chapter 17, uh, this is where, if you remember... Uh, Paul's missionary journey. He's in he's in Athens, and he has traveled the city. He's observing. He's looking at things, right? And then he goes and he meets uh, with these leaders. And we have these words of Paul in Acts seventeen. He says, "Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious, right? For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God." Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. Now, when Paul was in this situation, when he was debating with these philosophers, the philosophers, it was on Mars Hill. Uh, Dr. Sproul says he, has a, he had an opportunity at one point in his life to actually stand there. Anybody been there? Has anybody traveled there and seen that? That would be it. In addition to, to walking where Jesus walked, which would absolutely be amazing. I've never done that. Some of you have, right? Some of you have. Um, but, but, but also to extend that into some of these missionary trips. I mean, Mars, so that would be, be amazing, right? To stand where uh, Paul delivered this. And Dr. Spool said, I was there and it was amazing. You know, to be able just to say right there, say, this is where this conversation happened. 
but but the 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 philosophers that he was debating debating were what of the of the time there were the Stoics and the Epicureans is who he was talking to. Now he says the Stoics kind of had this philosophy, right? It says everything is a result of natural causes. That's kind of their belief, and so we have no control over anything that takes place. That's the philosophy of the Stoics. They can the only thing we can control is how we react to it. That's their philosophy, kind of in a, in a basic sense, right? The the Stoics. So in in the light of that, the way they saw life, they sought uh, to endure all of life's challenges um, because they couldn't change the circumstances. So we just got to get through it. It's got to keep going through it, right? Because we can't change it. The Epicureans, on the other hand, were famous for their creed of hedonism, right? What's the motto of the hedonist? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, right? Uh, that's, that's the creed, the motto, if you want to say, of a hedonist. Hey, enjoy life to the fullest today, because tomorrow you die. That's the way they saw life, right? It's enjoy. Of course, looking at those two worldviews, uh, obviously we know that Jesus was neither, right? Um, he, he didn't subscribe to those worldviews. But what he, when he told his disciples, he says, you're going to have a difficult time in the world. So you're kind of looking at it from the stoic side. It's going to be hard. There are a lot of things you can't do. He says, but be a good cheer. Now, was he saying, eat, drink, and be merry? No, it's not what he was saying, right? He he gave them a completely rational explanation. Why can you have peace in this world? Why can you, as the believer, uh, be of good cheer? Well, he qualifies it, right? I have overcome the world. Now that is a, that is a packed statement, isn't it? There is the, just those, those, those uh, five short words... I, I have overcome the world. What did you say? The world you're gonna have in the world you're gonna have tribulation. In me you find peace. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In other words, uh, he's saying, "I have overcome the world. I have I have taken everything that it can throw at me. Everything." And I've come forth victorious. I have won. I have overcome everything. He would crush every one of his enemies under his feet, and he would do it with his own blood on the cross. It's, the world will view the cross as victory, right? The world says to Satan, hey, we won. Jesus says, yeah, it is victory. But not how you see it, right? It is victory because this is not the end of the story. Yes. I offer my life on the cross, sinless. I have taken everything the world can throw at me. I offer my life. No one takes it. Remember Jesus? No one takes my life from me. I lay it down. And he did. And the Father accepted that because the Father raised him on the third day. Right? We know that. So, so we see this, I have overcome the world. Is that an encouragement to you today, dear believer? I hope it is. I hope this is an encouragement. I, all of us sitting here today, you know, we see each other uh, on a regular basis. And, and, you know, for most of us, you know, life's pretty normal, life's pretty good. But every one of us has got stuff going on, right? Every one of us has got stuff happening in our lives. We've got trials that, 
that maybe some of our close family know about it, that some of them, some maybe nobody knows about it, right? But as we go through this world, this statement that I, from Jesus, I have overcome the world. If you believe in Jesus as your Savior, that is an amazing comfort. If you are His and He's yours, then that is an amazing comfort in this life. The, what we know about the world is that the world will threaten us each and every day. They tr- the world is trying to crush us, right? It's trying to crush you. It's trying to crush me. The world is after your witness. Remember, the, the Satan is out there. He's like a roaring lion. Satan does know that if you're a believer, he can't take you. He, he knows that. He can't take Christ from you. But what is he going to try to do? He's going to try to destroy your witness. That's what he's going to try to do. That's his tactic. He knows he can't have you. If you belong to Christ, he knows he can't have you. He's going to try to take your witness. How does he take your witness? Well, one thing, he takes your joy. Let me. He will take your joy in the middle of a difficult situation. Now, what's the world like? Oh, they're just like me. They're just like us. Difficult stuff. You know, they're struggling just like us. Right? It's, they don't have any hope. There's no what's different about them. They have no joy. Well, Jesus says we have joy, real joy in him that no one can take away. Is what Jesus says. All these, all these things, these, these insults, these trials of life, even threats of death, all these things are designed to steal our joy that is in Christ. But again, as, as Jesus has says, he has completely overcome the world. And that's why the Apostle Paul, we talked about him a minute, he could say over in Romans 8, he can say that what? We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ who loves us. We are more than conquerors. Because of what he has done for us. And that, of course, um, that doesn't mean, Paul said, that doesn't mean that we have the power within us, ourselves, right, to beat the world. We don't. But we know that Jesus does. Because he says that I have overcome the world. And if you're in me, you're with me. You're on the side that wins, right? We have overcome the world together. We have about one minute left. Any questions or any comments today I hope you're encouraged today by this uh, portion of God's word I know I was let's pray together Heavenly Father we thank you for our time Father as we leave uh, this portion of our Sunday morning studies Father we um, pray uh, now as we go to uh, our worship service Father as as the pastor uh, calls us to worship Father we pray that um, whatever may be distracting us, Father, out in the world, we pray that uh, we'll set that aside, Father, set those distractions aside, that we may worship you in spirit and in truth. And we, we, pay for, we pray for our pastor, Father, as he leads us in worship. We pray, as we, as we talked about last week in Sunday school, Father, we um, acknowledge that uh, the power of the Holy Spirit is present through the means of grace and specifically through the preaching, the right preaching, the true preaching of your word. And so we pray that the Holy Spirit will move among your people today. Father, and make us more like Christ for the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.